All of us as kids got the talk from one or both of our parents. Um, we had disobeyed. We, we had done something we shouldn't have done, something they told us not to do. And so they gave us the talk, and we knew we were going to get the talk when they called us by our full name, first, middle, last. You knew the talk was coming. And uh, different parents handled the talk different ways, uh, but often at some point in the talk, the parents' eyes get really big and their face get really red and veins begin to pop out. And that's when you know this is the talk. I'm getting the talk if you haven't experienced that yet. Um, so, sometimes they handle it separately. Uh, sometimes together, like both at the same time talking over each other. Uh, which, as a kid, that's usually better. Because otherwise you have to get one talk from mom and then you have to get a second talk from dad. And nobody wants to double up. On the talk, the only thing worse than getting the talk is waiting to get the talk. Like if your mom says, wait till your dad gets home. Because you know two things. You know, number one, it may become more than just the talk when dad gets home. But you also know mom's like, she's not going to not give the talk just because dad's coming. She's going to give the talk the rest of the afternoon until dad gets home. And then they're going to tag team and dad's going to take over. The talk is not fun. Nobody looks forward to the talk. And yet, Jesus, in Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14, He gives a church the talk. He lets them have it. He gives them the business, we would say. He is worked up, and He has a talk with this particular church. We've studied six churches of the seven. Today's the last day. Of those six churches... Four of them had some good things and some not so good things about them. And that's how Jesus approached his conversation with them is here's some really positive things. Go you. That's great. Here are some things you've got to work on. You've got to focus on. And then there were two churches that he didn't have anything negative to say about. It was all inspiration, encouragement, and praise, and you're doing great, and keep it up, and I'm proud of you. And those two churches were suffering a lot of persecution, and so Jesus just gives them a a lot of encouragement. Unlike the first six, the last church is the only church that gets no encouragement and only critique and instruction. Jesus has nothing positive to say about this church, only bad news. And Jesus sort of threatened the other churches that there could come a time when he would be done with them. He would no longer be active in their church. He would walk away from them. The church that we meet today, Jesus basically says, we're almost there with you. I'm almost done with you. So this dire circumstance... For the final church, Revelation chapter 3, it's the last book of the Bible. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen as well. This is verse 14. This is Jesus speaking to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. These are the words of the amen or amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. As we've seen, if you've been here, if you haven't, that's fine. But if you've been here Jesus introduces himself in a different way to each church, and that means something. And and for this church, Jesus says, I'm the amen, which means the true one, the truth. Jesus is about to speak the truth. Not that he doesn't always speak the truth, but he's warning this church, 
I'm going to tell you the hard truth, maybe, is what he's saying. I'm going to say some things to you that you probably don't want to hear, but I'm being honest. I'm the amen. I speak the truth. In the Bible, in the Gospels, Jesus' speeches or talks or, or his messages would begin, in the King James, they would begin verily, verily. But in newer translation, they would begin truly, truly. That's sort of what Jesus is saying. This is the truth. You may not want to hear it, but I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And he he follows the amen with the faithful and true witness. This is true. You may not want to hear it. You may not want to admit it, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, this is an important step for us. When there are issues that need to be dealt with in our life, we need to hear the truth. We need to face the truth. And we are kind of good at skirting the truth that we don't want to hear. We're fairly skilled at self-deception, at least in the sense of, I ignore the things about me that I don't want to face. I ignore the parts of me that might cause problems later on, but I really don't want to deal with them. We're really good at it. And sometimes it's self-protection. Sometimes it's our way of dealing with the world or our relationships or the people around us. We, we wrap a layer of self-deception around us so that we don't have to face the reality. We, we call it self-awareness. A lot of times when we're talking about this idea, we use that phrase, having self-awareness, knowing myself well enough that I not only know my strengths, but I also know my weaknesses, I know my challenges, I know the things about me that are going to sabotage me in the future if I don't deal with them now. The way to discover that more, and you may not agree with this yet, but the way to discover who you are is by getting closer to Jesus. Because the closer I am to Jesus, the more I accurately see myself. Jesus has this wonderful way of peeling away our own self-deception and saying, because I love you, I want you to see who you really are and who you could be if you'll face this. Like, if you'll tune in to who you really are, then we can make progress there. That, that's always the first step, right? Admitting there is a problem, that's always the first step, is realizing this is the truth about me so that I can become somebody better, some, somebody else. When I was thinking along these lines, the image of Lazarus came up. If you know the story of Lazarus, or or if you don't, Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. He dies. Jesus isn't there to help. A few days later, Jesus shows up and brings Lazarus back from the dead, according to the Gospels. He brings Lazarus back from the dead, but when, when Lazarus comes out of the grave, he's wrapped in grave clothes. Strips of linen probably is how they prepared the body. So sort of like a mummy. He's just wrapped in all of these graves clothes and Jesus has to tell his friends, go take those off so that he could be free. Our capacity for self-deception is a lot like those graves clothes, like those strips of linen. We wrap little lies about ourselves around us, maybe to cushion us, maybe to protect us. What we don't realize is it's confining us, it's trapping us, it's not setting us free. We think of it as protecting, but it's really trapping us. 
instead of seeing the truth of who we are. And so what Jesus does is we get closer to Him, as we learn more of Him, as we're open to His work, Jesus Little by little says, this is not who you are, this is not who you are, this is not who you are. This is who I created you to be. He speaks truth. The the Bible says truth sets us free. Jesus says the true things about us. Now that goes both ways. Sometimes the lies that we've believed are things like you're not good enough. No one could love you. God God could never love you. God could never use you. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not good-looking enough. You're not successful enough. All of these lies of defeat and attack, and that's that's one sense that Jesus steps in and says, nope, that's not you. That's not you. That's not. I created you. I love you. I have plans and purposes for your life. This doesn't define who you are. My love for you defines who who you are. So, so in one sense, we believe those kind of lies about ourselves. But the other side is true too, in that we don't face reality about ourselves that needs to get corrected, that needs to get changed. It needs to become better. And so when we're open to Jesus, when we're walking with Jesus, He just begins to peel that away too, to say, no, we actually need to talk about this area. I am on the uh, frequent flyer program with my dermatologist. I don't know if anybody else is with me on that. Um, She used to only see me once a year and she missed me, so she bumped me up to every six months. I'm just, I'm talented. I'm overachiever when it comes to dermatology. And uh, I have a great dermatologist. She has a wonderful personality and a a great sense of humor. But if you've ever been through this, um, you know it's just not a fun process. Because you walk in there, and they, they look you over from head to toe. Like everywhere, they're searching with their little lights and, and going down your arms and looking at your back. Everywhere, they're checking you. If you've never done this, you should. It's loads of fun. You should just schedule one, whether you need it or not. Just go in there, see what it's like, because they look you over completely. And they find things that you didn't see or you didn't admit that you saw. It's funny, the last time I went in, she said, so, have you noticed any problems? And I said, no. And then I said, there's this little thing right here. And she said, why does everybody do that? Why does everybody say no and then a few seconds later start pointing? to the, Because I don't want to admit that it's there. And then the other side of it, there's just things I don't see. Like there's things on my back. I don't ever look back there. I don't ever know they're there. But it's her job, it's her role to find those and to take care of them. Why? Because if she doesn't, then they're going to be a problem later on. If she doesn't see them and find them and do something about them, they're going to stay there. I'm not going to notice them. And then later on, I've got real problems. So she pulls up her little cart and juices up all of her needles and starts cutting, right? Not because she likes inflicting pain. Actually, mine does like inflicting pain. That's not the sole purpose of the moment is to inflict pain. The sole purpose is 
This is going to harm you later on. So let's take care of it now before that happens. Now this is the way Jesus works in our life. This is the way the Spirit of God works in our lives. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to shine a light on you. I'm going to expose these things that you're not wanting to see. Maybe you don't see. You're turning your head away from, not because I'm trying to inflict pain on you. I just know if you don't address this honestly, this is going to be a problem later on. And as we walk with Jesus, we become more comfortable with that process. We realize what it's for. We realize the value of Jesus taking the scalpel of his spirit and saying, come on, let's work that out of your attitude, of your thinking, of your relationships. Let's, let's root that out so it's not a problem later on. Jesus goes on in verse 15. I know your deeds. Again, he's telling them the truth. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Literally vomit you out of my mouth. Now when somebody asks you what you know about Jesus or, or tell me something that Jesus said or give me a verse that Jesus spoke, you probably don't think of Jesus saying you make me sick. But that's exactly what Jesus says to these people. You make me want to vomit because of the condition of your spiritual life. And the problem, Jesus says, is you're not hot or you're not cold. You're lukewarm. You're tepid. You're not good for anything because you're just in the middle. There's no spiritual vitality to your life. There's no energy. There's no passion. You're not truly connected in any way. You're just going through the motions And Jesus said, not me, Jesus said, it's sickening to watch you try to live your spiritual life this way. As with all of the other churches, Jesus' illustration is connected to that particular city. Uh, Laodicea was was built in a place, I don't know who decided to do this, it was built in a place where there was no source of water. So the only way they got water in their city was to get it from other cities through stone aqueducts. The water traveled over miles and miles before it got to their city. So, for example, in Hierapolis, there were warm springs. It it was known for its hot springs, and people would go there for therapy and relaxation and and for healing, they believed it had healing properties. So they would go to Hierapolis for these really hot springs. The problem was by the time the hot water flowed from Hierapolis miles and miles through stone aqueducts to Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. Then there was the cold springs in the mountains. And the water was really cold in the mountains, but again, it had to travel miles and miles through stone aqueducts. <clears throat> and when it got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. All of the water, all of the time in Laodicea was lukewarm. And you've had lukewarm water before, right? You've tried to take a bath in a lukewarm bath, and that is not very nice. 
You've been thirsty on a hot day and you thought you were drinking a cold cup of water, but it had sat out too long and it was lukewarm and it was disgusting. This is the image Jesus is drawing. Water temperature combined with, after flowing all of these miles in stone aqueducts, the water would pick up sediment and calcium so that by the time it got to Laodicea, it was not only lukewarm, but it had all of this other stuff in it. And so it literally made the people of Laodicea sick. And Jesus says, that's what your spiritual life is like to me. And that's harsh. I admit it. That's harsh. Jesus says, this is how I feel about the lethargy, the indifference that you seem to have, the, the just sort of mediocre, the tepid approach to your faith, to your relationship to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. I'm sick of you. He goes on to say in verse 17, You say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Here was the big danger that had happened in Laodicea. They had become self-sufficient and self-confident. They felt like they had everything that they need, and they really didn't need God. They really didn't need the Spirit of God. They didn't need Jesus in their life. Everything was well taken care of. Laodicea was um, proud of its self-sufficiency. In uh, AD 60, the year 60, there's an earthquake, damages Laodicea, and they tell the Roman government, we don't need your help. We're going to fix this ourselves. We're going to pay for it. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to do this ourselves. Like little kids, you know, little kids get to that point where they say, do it myself. This is what the way the people of Laodicea were. I, I'm just going to do it myself. Now, on the one hand, we would say it's a great thing. Personal responsibility, not depending on other people. So, so there's a good side to this. Uh, Laodicea was another one of the cities that was extremely wealthy. Everybody was wealthy. And again, we would say that there's, that's a good thing, that they're not dependent on other people, they work hard, they made money, they pay their bills, that's a good thing. Uh, Laodicea had a textile industry that made a specific type of cloth, and that's the only place you could get this particular type of cloth, and branded, and this is what comes from our city, and nobody else had it. And we would say, well, that sounds like a good thing. People have jobs. You have a unique industry. They had a medical school in Laodicea, known for, associated with a particular eye ointment that helped people who were having bacteria or problems in their eyes. And we would say, that's a good thing. Medicine's a good thing. And all of those by themselves are good things. The problem was all of that added up to a people who just didn't think they needed God in their lives. 
They just weren't that interested in God because their life was so comfortable and easy and they had everything they needed and they could depend on themselves and they could solve all their own problems. And so they began to live as if we can handle everything. And when you begin to think you can handle everything, then you begin to move God out of your life. And you have an inability to see your own deficiencies. You are unable to see, these are some of the problems in my life that I need to get honest about. Which led to just a general lethargy in their spiritual life. No no true passion for the things of God. No true commitment to the things of God. No sense of wonder and joy at what they were discovering about God. How they were following Jesus. Like their heart didn't light up when they came to worship. They just sort of sang the songs and went home. And they were still going to church. They were still having services. They were still doing church things. But Jesus said, beneath the surface, your heart is just tepid. There's nothing of excitement going on in your life. Now, now think of the irony of what they had and what they didn't have. They had wealth and a medical school and they had a textile industry. They had self-sufficiency. But you could live without all of those things. You could, you could find some other way to meet all of those needs. You know what you can't live without? Water. You can't live without water. So here's this group of people that are so proud of themselves and so they have this feeling of self-sufficiency and the one thing they needed most, they didn't even have a source for. There was no way for them to get fresh, living water to keep them alive. And so Jesus begins to say, here's the problem. What you need in your life is not something out there. It's not something out there. What you're missing is the fountain of life that Jesus is for us. You you got a lot of stuff. You're well respected. A lot of people think a lot of you. You are missing the very thing you need for life and eternal life. There is no fountain of joy in your life. There is no fountain of spiritual meeting of your needs resources, spiritual resources. You don't have that. And so he challenges them. You you don't need the silver that's out there. You You need the gold that I provide. You don't need the healing that's out there. You need the healing that I provide. You need to turn to me because I am what you most need. We live in a society where it's really easy to meet all of our human needs elsewhere and to forget about God. Jesus will have the same message for us. And what you need is you need a spiritual fountain that will never run dry. You need the joy and hope and life and energy that can only come from being rightly related to Jesus. Constantly flowing in your life. Jesus says in verse 19, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. So on the one hand, Jesus says, you make me sick. But on the other hand, he said, look, I love you. I have not given up on you yet. I love you, and I want you to turn, and I want you to change, and I want you 
First of all, just to see how dry you are on the inside. How, how lacking in emotion you are for the things of God. How there's barely a heartbeat in you for the things of God. And you still show up and you, you still do some things with the church. But in your heart, there's no life. And Jesus says, I, I'm saying this because I love you. I'm, I'm saying this because I can do something about it, Jesus is saying. When he introduced himself, he said, he's the amen, he's the faithful and true witness. And then the third way he introduced himself is the ruler of God's creation. The ruler of God's creation, maybe better translated, the, the beginning of God's creation. When you, when you read the Bible and go back to, to Genesis it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all actively at work in creation. And when you read Genesis 1, you know that creation started in darkness, the depths of the water, chaos and turbulence. And Jesus reminds them, as bad as the condition of your heart is, I just want you to remember, I, I bring dead things back to life. That's what I do. Jesus is saying, I reach into dark places and I bring beauty and wonder and life and energy back. I, I, I reach into chaos and I bring order and goodness. So the dry condition of our heart is no problem for Jesus when we turn to Him, when we come to Him and we listen to the truth that He's trying to speak into our lives. I don't want you to live in this mediocre, lukewarm area. I, I want your heart on fire for the things of God. Here, here's his solution, verse 20. Here I am, again, Jesus still speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus shifts in this moment from talking to the church as a group and begins to talk to the individuals who are in the church. If anyone, not if everyone, if anyone, anybody at all, and everybody may not, but if anybody will, if one person would, Jesus is asking that same question this morning. Like down each row and each individual chair, what about you? What about you? What about you? I don't know whether everybody will, but what about you? What about if anyone would respond? If anybody is tired of living a lifeless, joyless spiritual life, if anybody is worn down by trying to keep up with everything and you want that fresh, alive feeling that you once had as a follower of Jesus? Like the, There was a time when you came into worship and you could not wait for things to start. And Jesus says, if any one of you want to get that back, if any one of you want your heart to start to burn brighter again, it, it can happen. And he mentions two things that it takes for that to happen. And one is we have to hear his voice. If anyone hears my voice, 
Because we all know, we've all been there. Jesus has spoken and we've ignored it. We knew that we were supposed to respond and we ignored it. We got up and went home, pretended like it didn't. If anyone hears it, if anyone pays attention, which means the noise level of my life has got to get turned down so that I can hear him. The noise level of my own voice, the one that keeps telling me I'm fine, don't worry about it, you're fine, you're better than most people, that voice that continues to wrap myself in protective deception because I don't want to deal with truth. If we'll turn that voice down, Jesus said, if if anybody hears my voice, because he's calling, he's speaking this morning, and then second, do something about it. Open the door, he said. Don't just hear it. Don't just hear it and leave. Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if you want this, if you want to move back into a time in your life that was fresh and vibrant and exciting, according to Jesus, it depends on you and Jesus. It doesn't take a third party It doesn't take a pastor. It doesn't take a counselor. All all of those can be helpful. Jesus says, if you'll just hear me and you're willing to go with me, things can change. And for, for some people, that may represent the moment they came to faith in Jesus. Like we celebrated with Carson and others this morning in the first service. That may reflect that moment where Jesus called your name. There are other verses that say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You you hear his voice and you know, I've never committed my life to Jesus. And then that needs to be today, right now. You need to give your life to Christ. Maybe maybe that's what that means for you. Um, but, But Jesus is talking to people who are already in, it sounds like. I mean, he's talking to the church. He's talking to people who have been there a while. They, they have the fish decal on the back of their car. They have the Bible verse in their Instagram profile. Like that person, Jesus knows that person posts all the verses on social media. That person sometimes loses life and energy and fire. Sometimes over time, sometimes over time that person loses Just being desperately in love with Jesus and experiencing the fountain of life that Jesus is for them. And Jesus says, if that's you this morning, not all of you, if that's you as an individual, if anyone hears my voice and and lets me come in, we'll, we'll sit down at the table again is what he says. We'll go back to the table. And we'll sit down and we'll talk and I'll be with you. And we'll experience what we used to experience when we were close, like when you were walking with me, when you were close to me. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in. We'll sit down at the table, just the two of us. Jesus draws a picture of beautiful relational intimacy in his illustration. Just you and me. Dinner for two. Let's talk. And maybe for some of us it's just been a while. 
that we slowed down enough to be with Him. Not doing stuff for Him, although doing stuff for Him can draw us closer to Him. They're not mutually exclusive, but sometimes we're doing all kinds of stuff for Him and we, we haven't been with Him. And Jesus invites us to be with Him before we do things for Him. So that's why we thought a good way to, to bring this series to a close would be for us to come back to the table. For us to come back to what Jesus did for all of us, that He died. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. And years later, through John, He says to a group of people, I want you to come back to the table. I don't want us to be distant. I want us to be close. I want us to walk through life together. I want your heart to feel the fountain of joy that it once felt with me. Come back to the table. The band's going to come out in just a minute. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We're going to come to the table with Jesus. Remembering His body and His blood. There are tables around the room. You could just take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and eat it. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come back to the table where it all started. Come back to the very reason why you and I can have a relationship with Jesus. And let this be a renewal of the life and energy and fountain that He wants for your heart, for my heart, for our spiritual life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for inviting us back to the table for recognizing that there would be times in our life when for whatever reason our heart just gets a little lukewarm. Our passions wane. And maybe that's a lack of honesty on our part. Maybe we're just overlooking some sin that we we need to deal with and, and get cut away this morning. Sometimes... It's the monotony of life and the rat race that we live in and the pressures that we feel. They just begin to squeeze out the joy that's available to us in Jesus. Sometimes we've been disappointed or disillusioned. Sometimes we face things we just don't understand and and as a result, we move farther from you. Our heart gets a little colder when it was so hot at one time. And then Jesus lovingly says, I'm here. Come back to the table. I'm here. So help us to embrace that truth today as we come to receive this Lord's Supper. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band plays, come back to the table. Celebrate Jesus today.